Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. It's a podcast about workplace culture, psychology and life. Hello, I'm Bruce Daisley. Actually, it's just me again because today is just a really timely one-off episode. I've been really inspired by a lot of stuff about workplace culture recently and it seemed good reason to just put more stuff out. Specifically, I read something wonderful about the culture of Tottenham Hotspur. I contacted the writer and it felt like it was just worth putting out in a timely fashion. They're currently second in the Premier League and it felt like a good time to, to capture that. We've got a couple of podcasts recorded with Matt and Ellen, so we'll be back for a fuller episode next week and that will be the, the normal cycle of things. Ange Postacoglu has been the manager of Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, for about 100 days and in that time he started something of a transformation. And I can tell that because the Spurs fans, I know, have just started smiling. Spurs have started the season well. Like I say, they're currently second in the league. But more than that, the players seem to be happy and are playing exciting football. There was a brilliant article by Charlie Eccleshare in The Athletic looking into the culture of the club under Ange. The article talked about how the mood of the club has been transformed. And for anyone interested in the impact that cultural change can create, it was a fascinating read full of specifics, clearer actions... Aren't we all, to a greater or lesser extent, trying to change the mood of our jobs, trying to change the relationship between how we feel and the results we achieve? I got in touch with Charlie, and that's the conversation here today. We talked about Pastor Coglu, culture, the impact that culture has on results. In the show notes, you'll find links to Charlie's articles. He mentions a few speeches, and I've included YouTube clips of them. Uh, there's also other things that you might find of interest, like an interview with Gary Lineker. Fabulous discussion. For me, I'm sort of a lapsed football fan, really, but I love the stories behind these things. That's why previous episodes about Jurgen Klopp and maybe the All Blacks, sort of any, any intersection of a good story in sport, for me, is the sweet spot for me. So I'm really grateful. Let's have our discussion with Charlie Eccleshare from The Athletic. Charlie, thank you so much for joining me because I loved your piece that I read last week. I wonder if you could just briefly introduce who you are and explain what you do. Yeah, I'm Charlie Eccleshare. I'm the Tottenham Hotspur correspondent for The Athletic. The Athletic, for those who don't know, it's owned by the New York Times and it's a subscription-only sports website. And the idea is to give kind of in-depth coverage of particular teams and sports and events. In my case, that's Tottenham Hotspur or Spurs. Yeah, so I cover the team very closely. And as part of that, that involves uh, going to weekly 
press conferences with the manager, Postacoglu. We have them before games and after games. So I've got to know him pretty well um, over the past couple of months since he's been appointed. So that's that's me. Tell me this, even just that insight you give there, do you get a sense of what someone is going to be like culturally? I'm, I'm interested in the culture and the cultural dynamics by how welcoming they are to outsiders. Is the very fact that he's allowed himself to become known to you something that maybe would differentiate himself from other people you've dealt with there. So it's strange world football because it's very, they're very well protected. Um, football is such a huge industry. Basically, the bigger the sport, the worse the access is for journalists. And football is the biggest sport in the world. So the access, you know, we, it can be hard to get to know the managers on a personal level because the only times you get to speak to them really are in quite a, an artificial environment where. The manager gives a press conference where he's talking. You ask questions, he answers. So in the wrong hands, that can feel a little bit like, you know, you're at school and you're asking the teacher questions and they hold all the power. What he has done, what feels different with him, I mean, first of all, I went on the team's summer tour in July and part of that was in Australia where he, where Postacoglu is from. And as part of that, we had a more informal sit down with him, which was only a few of us who were there. So I got to know him a bit better then and, you know, hear about his journey and that sort of thing. But even within those press conferences, yes, he does. He shows more of himself, I think, than a lot of managers. He shows his personality. He shows who he is. I think what a lot of them do, they're very, a lot of managers are very scared of the media. So they're very reluctant to say anything personal for fear that it might expose them or make them vulnerable or be leapt on um what what he does very differently is he is willing to to show a bit more of himself and he has a lot more of a hinterland than a lot of managers bear in mind a lot of these people have only ever really known elite level football and that is so detached from reality elite level football whereas he's he's a bit older than most managers as well he's 58 and he's got lived experience and that really comes through and culture is really important to him he came in I guess from the outside, it appears like it's been five years of constant change and turbulence. What what do you think was the objective? What manifesto did he come in on? Well, I think, uh, so the big buzzword this summer for Spurs, when they were trying to appoint a new manager, which dragged on, it went on for months, so they were without a manager. And culture was one of the big buzzwords. Right. It was about someone who could reconnect with the values of the club. And... You know, football clubs, I guess like most organisations, but to an even bigger degree, they have a set of values and ideals that are really important to them. So in Tottenham's case, it's about playing good football. And, and most clubs have this to an extent. But, that you know, just, just taking them as an example, they pride themselves on history of playing good football. The game is about glory. To dare is to do is, is their motto. And so they wanted someone who could come in and matched up to those ideals and also who could give younger players a chance. That's another thing the club prized themselves on that had been lost a little bit. But also just, it, it had become Spurs, his immediate two, well, he had three predecessors, but one of them barely lasted any time at all. But two of them, one was Antonio Conte, one was Jose Mourinho, two of the most successful managers in the game. Both had managed at Chelsea, who were big rivals of Spurs. But they were very, they're very defensive managers and they could be quite abrasive and it became quite joyless under both of them. So they wanted someone who could come in and just and lift the place and kind of remind people that actually 
football should be enjoyed. It should be fun. And that's what he's all about. You know, he, he's got this amazing backstory where he, and, and again, talking about the vulnerability and, you know, showing elements of himself and modeling and that kind of thing. He was very close to his dad who died a couple of years ago. And he basically got into football as a way of getting closer to his dad because his, he says his dad worked. They, they were Greek immigrants who moved to Australia when Ange was three or four, very young. And, and you know, it, it was hard for his dad and his dad was quiet, worked till hours, but football was the thing that made him come alive. And so Postacoglu would go along with him to football and basically because of his dad always wanted to be a player, which he was, and then be a manager and also not just do that, but play in a certain way. We were immigrants, right? That's ostensibly what we were. We went by boat. At that time, Australia was looking for immigrants to help them with the workforce. My dad was an unskilled labourer, so we took that leap. We went there, we stayed in a sort of refugee camp for a little while. Within that context, I had a father who, like every little boy, I wanted to get close to, but he was just working all the time, mate. And the only thing that he kind of kept inside of him from the old country was this love of football. He just loved football, and, and at the time growing up, that was my connection. I loved that, what it did to him as a person, so I got, wanted to get close to that. Which was this very exciting, forward-thinking way, because that's what his dad loved. So it's all linked to that. And so it, and so it's one of those moments in football they talk about alignment, which is where the club has a vision, and they, you know, they make appointments that match that vision. And Spurs, for so long, had seemingly had a vision, but then they'd make these appointments... So, you know, we love playing good football, but we're going to appoint defensive managers. Well, how do, you know, how do those things connect? Postacoglu finally was someone who did align with those visions and his whole thing has been about lifting the place and reminding the players and everyone at the club that it is a special place to work and that football should be enjoyed. And I think that had been forgotten. I really love the thing that you call out that he'd said he was, he was in an interview somewhere, he said, if you want to change, if you want to change, you have to change, which seems like... Um, a really simple thing to say, but I saw someone talking about culture a couple of weeks ago and they said, you know, the danger of culture is that you treat it as a series of values, but the best way to bring culture alive is a series of actions. Mm. And it, it sort of struck me that those things were adjacent to each other, that, you know, he was thinking specifically of what actions can we change? What can we do? Can you can you think of examples that brought that to life? Yeah, well, something I, I report in that piece um, for instance, before home games, how it used to be was that the players would all stay together at a hotel. It's actually the hotel on the site of the training ground. He came in and basically said, no, the players can stay at home with their, with their families the night before a game, as can the staff. They all have lives, they all have families. Why make them have one extra night away? And obviously the risk there is that, well, what if the players misbehave or whatever? But he was like, I trust them. If it becomes an issue, then yeah, I'll have to step in but I don't think it will I think that I think the players will be far better off in their own beds relax the night before rather than you know in, in an environment that might actually heighten their anxiety because you know they're kind of already in game mode the night before and the game's not starting for another however many you know 24 hours or a bit under so that's one I mean another and that speaks to a, um, a consistent theme about empowering the players mm. and so he's very much his message to them and in public has been, you know, the dressing room is their space. They can do what they want. And the idea is that until there are kind of major issues that need resolving, he wants the players to resolve it themselves as a way of empowering them. Because otherwise it's just him kind of dictating things. And his belief is that you don't actually affect real cultural change if it's kind of a diktat from on high. So those are just some of the ways he um, 
yeah, he's tried to he's tried to do all that, and you know, he he named the the big thing as well with all of this is they lost Harry Kane this summer. Mm. Uh, you know, talismanic figure. He wasn't the club captain. He was um, he was actually the vice captain, but he's the England captain, and he was a huge huge figure. You know, the best player of their modern era. For, you know, Spurs came through the academy. They lost him, which felt like a massive thing. They also the club captain has been marginalised. He doesn't really play. They had a leadership group of four players last season. None of them are in this season's leadership group. He's replaced them all with three new people. Two of them is that quite because they've left young. the clubs. Club. Well, no, not all of them have. No. Only Kane's left the club. The other three are still at the club, right. but they're just not um, senior figures under him. So to complete, it's very rare you have that in football. You have so much change in such a short space of time. And again, I think it was just his way of saying, "I trust these guys." Some of whom, you know, one of them is uh, a young Argentinian guy. I think he's, like, he's Christian Romero, who's now twenty-four. But it was the kind of appointment that um, I, I, I made this point um, to, to people connected with Spurs. You know, it reminded me a bit of at school when the naughty kid is given. Uh, a responsibility as a way of hoping it will kind of get him on the straight and narrow. And that's kind of what, you know, Romero was very ill-disciplined, was always getting booked or sent off, but he was appointed one of the vice captains. And then another one was James Madison, who again was seen by some as a bit of a rogue, um, but actually, you know, Postacoglu has complete trust in him, has made him a vice captain. And those two have shown, you know, great leadership so far. And also Romero is uh, Argentinian, so he's Spanish-speaking. There are quite a lot of Spanish speakers at the club, quite a lot of players from South America. So the idea was that he could kind of be uh, a leadership figure for that part of the dressing room. And then Madison's English-speaking. Uh, I mean, is English, so you know a lot of you know, the English players gravitate towards him. And then Son Heung-min, who's from Korea, kind of is seen as transcending all the groups and kind of beloved by everyone. So it's quite, you know, not all organisations are as multinational, multicultural as football clubs. I think that's something that's quite amazing about them. Um, but that was definitely something he was conscious of, that he wanted all the different groups to kind of be represented. And was there a sense that in the previous, in the past, that there'd been a lot of complaints or a lot of moaning or excuses? Was, was there a persistent cloud of negativity over the club? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and again, some would say that's the players. You know, there, there was this idea that, well, if Conte and Mourinho can't succeed at Spurs, that's not their fault. That's the players' fault. No one could ever get a tune out of this group. They're idle. They don't like, you know, they're either complaining that training's too hard or that it's too soft. But yeah, last season was pretty toxic. It wasn't a happy place. Um, you know, lots of complaints that Conte's training was boring and repetitive, that he was you know, volatile and, you know, I, I'm, um, I've got two young kids and something you hear, and my wife's a social worker and something she talks about with parenting that they talk about in social work is the importance of consistency. And I think that's true also with, you know, managing people in any workspace. And the problem with Conte was he was wildly inconsistent. So he might come in and one day be quite jovial and happy on another day, fly off the handle. And that's really difficult, I think, for players it's not a very nice working environment because you don't really know where you stand. I should say as well, he had quite a lot of things going on off the pitch as well, which I think you know made it a particularly hard year for him. But for whatever reason, it really wasn't a happy um, workplace. And, and something Postacoglu said actually recently was that one of the things he did that's important about him coming in, but also new, they brought in a bunch of new players, as tends to happen with most clubs every summer. 
And he said the important thing there was for them to come in and remind those players who'd been around that actually this is a pretty amazing club. You know, the facilities are incredible. The history of the club is incredible. But that can be lost when you've got people who've been there for a long time and start to feel stale. Um, but yeah, the, the mood's transformed from, from last season. I was really struck in the piece you wrote um, about how we often achieve goals obliquely. So what I get, uh, I mean, is that you talked about how Conte had these really strict drills and often training would run on because he was mm. insistent about getting, I guess, these defensive drills or whatever drills, right? And and they, he, they were trying to train that the players were fitter. And yet, in the, re, in the data from the first few games of this season, the players appear to have run more than in previous seasons. They appear to have acted more. And it's, it's almost like they've accomplished those things through motivation. That mm. In the past, they were sort of being dragged reluctantly and, and sort of held back to achieve. And it just, it's really interesting how you can achieve goals obliquely, sometimes far more effectively than instructing someone to do them. That really struck me. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and something um, one of Postacoglu's former players said to me was that you are, you're far much more, because his training's more varied um, than someone like Conte's, where it was more rigid and regimented. And as you say, it was, uh, yeah, look, we need to do this. Let's get to this point and we don't stop until we do. One of his former players was saying that when you're playing for a manager like Postacoglu, you are just more willing subconsciously or otherwise to go that extra mile because it is that much funner and you kind of believe in it that little bit more. Um, and I definitely think we've seen that this season. And, you know, other little things as well, you know, just going back to the kind of cultural points, things like meetings now are shorter. They're mm. not so kind of drawn out and I guess didactic. Um and that's all part of this idea of empowering the players, that it shouldn't be so much like they're getting a lecture at university and it's more, it's short, sharp. And a lot of research has gone into this with footballers and I, I'm sure it's true of most young people that there is a limit to how much they can just be talked at before they switch off and they don't really take yeah. in any more information. Uh, and that's certainly something that Postacoglu appears to be conscious of because they're much shorter, these meetings. And, and training sessions tend to be shorter as well. Is it, a straight, is it a straight line that managers are just reflected in their teams? Can you, can you do a character a profile of a manager by looking at their teams? It's a really interesting question. Um, to some extent, I mean, they... they you know, the managers are so are held so responsible for what happens, and incre- and that's become even possibly even more of a thing over the last five or ten years. Like the cult of the manager is the thing. You can certainly see characteristics. I mean, you know, managers who often who are are very very intense. You know, they set their teams out to play in that kind of way. Um, in Postacoglu's case. He's really interesting because there's a relentlessness to him, which he wants his teams to have. But it is done, to use your word, oblique. You know, it's not in that same, we are going to have to get to this point. It's more just kind of showing up every day um, and always giving your best and always learning and all of that kind of thing. So I, I, I think there are elements that teams reflect their managers. But what's interesting as well is often... Play, managers who as players embody certain characteristics are then quite different when they become managers. Um, George Graham, the the former Arsenal manager, is quite an interesting example. He's known for kind of doer defensive football. But as a player, he was called Stroller and he was kind of, you know, walked about the pitch, quite a cocky central midfielder, I think. So, you know, you, you can have different qualities uh, once you become a manager. But I, yeah, I, I do think... Um, 
certainly the kind of attitude and approach and application you see you you can see a fairly straight line in some cases or look at Jose Mourinho you know he is someone <clears throat> who very spiky character and wanted his teams to have that spikiness and that world's against us kind of attitude you know because some people are some people like to motivate by kind of telling people that everyone else, everyone thinks you're your crap and that you know everyone wants us to lose so it's kind of fighting against something whereas others you know will go for more positive reinforcement and sometimes you can see that and you know some teams might play and want to be more the protagonist um certainly Postacoglu's Tottenham team are more that whereas Mourinho is more reactive and they're out to get us but let's show them that actually we're the best yeah just the, the thing that really strikes me is that uh, my friends who support Spurs uh, telling me how much more fun they're having this season. Just, you know, th- they seem to be enjoying their experience there. And then the players appear to be enjoying themselves and being more motivated. And then, so it comes down to this really intriguing question, whether actually trying to create enjoyable environments that have got the spirit of motivation at the heart of them, if there's some magic there that we sometimes lose sight of. And, and from from someone who's, thinks about workplace culture and workplace dynamics all the time it's just a really intriguing analog because you know is there a teachable lesson in this and I guess you know that's my question for you do you think there's a teachable lesson in this can other clubs try and create a more enjoyable environment to achieve what they want yeah I mean I think so it's it's so hard to know all of this because we're so we are so results focused so I think you know at the moment Postacoglu he's he's at that sweet spot because results have been so good that everyone's bought into it straight away. You know, both the players, the media. So everything he says is seen through the prism of this guy is good and successful. Um, you know, so I, I really believe in it. When results are less good, maybe, um, you know, you have less sympathy for that. Having said that, I do think that creating an environment, and, and it's not e- it's easier said than done, clearly, but, you know, a fun environment means that some mistakes sort of forgiven and I and I think Spurs for instance they they're they're going to have bad games this season they just will but I think there'll be a lot more of an acceptance of those because they're trying to do things in the right way as far as the fans see it and I think the players as well will be more willing to keep fighting for a manager where you know because they're humans you know where the atmosphere is fun and enjoyable and they've come from those Conte Mourinho periods where it just stopped being fun and that that does make it really really difficult. So I do th- I do think across the board people should especially in an industry like football where it should be fun. You know it sh- uh, yes there is like, there, there's suffocating pressure but ultimately you are doing something that most people would love to be doing. Same for me covering the sport and you have to remember that sometimes and my boss is really good at saying you know that as much as yes it's serious and important but don't forget to have fun with it, you know, because <laughs> it should be. We're really lucky to be doing this job. And that's probably true of quite a lot of industry. You know, I, I often think it's a shame that sort of the funnest sounding industries, often actually when you speak to people in them, are the most stressful and, you know, yeah. uh, and often the biggest brands that you think, oh, wouldn't that be cool to work for Brand X? And then you're like, no, it's got a really toxic working culture because people are so pressured and institutionalized and have no perspective and that's where Postacoglu's upbringing is so important because for him he says this a lot you know we have a responsibility there are going to be people out there coming to watch who have 
stuff going on in their lives. They might be struggling at work. They might be struggling at home. It's our job for two hours to give them some escapism. That's that's what we're here to do because that's what football gave him and his dad and so many people from that Greek community in Melbourne all those years ago. And I, I think, yeah, not losing sight of those things is really important. Yeah, it really strikes me that through everything you've said, the importance of momentum to some extent. Like, you know, to, to start in a different way without a break, you might immediately find that, you know, coming from a club like Celtic, coming from a club like Celtic initially could have been the thing that people were laughing at now, you know, that mm. he didn't have elite team pedigree. Um, and But a bit of momentum on his side and a good environment, it just strikes me that there is there is a degree of luck about getting these things exactly right. Yeah, although what's interesting is he, he started quite slow. Celtic, where he was previously, yeah, he was a huge success, won the league both seasons there and they, they absolutely loved him. He actually started quite slowly there and when he managed in Japan um, in his job before Celtic, whereas this time he has come in and just like ridden, ridden this wave. Um, and I think it helped, you know, something that's been suggested to me, one of the things that's helped him almost was that the players were so miserable by the end under the previous manager that they right. were particularly willing and to quickly embrace the changes, whereas they might not have been if, you know, let's say they, they'd loved their last manager, but he'd moved on because he'd been offered a bigger job or whatever. Then there might still be people saying, well, actually, I loved right. how we did things under manager X. Uh, whereas they were like, yeah, very, very happy. Uh, to try something different. And I think with momentum, I mean, momentum is so huge in sport, but it's also then how you kind of ride that wave. Um, and he's doing that really well. And I would say to any, you know, go and have a look at the atmosphere at the ground. It's it's amazing. It's just completely transformed. You know, last year was a really miserable place to be. Fans are just angry and upset. And now they believe again. And, and the scenes after each victory is just joyous and that's what sport can do and that's what that's his point I suppose the, the thing that's really come out throughout is that you know whether it is communicating the purpose you know of what the team's for or communicating to the team that he wanted change that, that word communication just comes out all the time and is that what we're looking at that you know the big differentiator between these people who are just able to land something and the people who struggle is that art of transferring something from our heads to put that idea in someone else's head. Would you summarize it as communication? What do you think if, if you had to be reductive, what's the one thing that differentiates this guy? So I've done a piece actually on his oratory because I think it is such an important part of who he is. And for it, I spoke to a public speaking expert to sort of get a sense of, uh, kind of where Postacoglu's rhetoric sits amongst, you know, people we think of as speech makers and that sort of thing. And I also spoke to a lot of his former players who, because he, he's given a lot of team talks that have almost gone viral. Um, they're so inspirational. His communication is so important. And that actually was some, a big part of the Spurs managerial hunt this summer was getting someone with good communication who could articulate a message, get people on side, partly because... Conte and Mourinho had been really bad at that. Mourinho is interesting because he's a great communicator in lots of ways, uh, but he just the message he was sending out just didn't sit with the players, didn't sit with the fans. 
it's so important for Posta Coglu. And again, I would I would sort of seek out um, to get a sense of this, some of his team talks. I mean, he gives this amazing one where he talks to, he's talking to the Australian players. He was managing the Australian national team at the time. And he's saying to them, basically, think about the per- the one person who made loads of sacrifices so you could get here today. Think about that one person. And he models again. He talks about how, for me, that person is my dad. And then he says, because tonight when you go out, they're there with you. And so we're actually going out there with a much bigger team. It's not just 11 people. All those people who've been with you on this journey, they're going to be out there with you too. So we're game day, boys, yeah? So when you walk out today, just think about one thing, right? You think about the person in your life, as I've always said to you, it could be your mum, could be your dad, could be your brother, sister, uncle, grandfather, partner, friend, coach, somebody in your life that when you started, believed in you more than anyone else. That when you said, I want to play football and you were passionate about it, they're the ones that made the sacrifices. They're the ones that pushed you. That when people said to you, you're not good enough, they're the ones that picked you up and said, no, nah, no, nah, you keep going. Oh, bad luck. Come on, Jack. Oh. Think about that person. Think about how that person's going to feel when we win tonight. When they're at home and the text messages start coming through to them and people ringing them and people sharing the experience with them and when they wake up tomorrow morning in Australia and everyone wants to talk to them, They'll feel like it's them that's achieved it. And you know what? It is them. Because that's who you're walking out with tonight. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. He's a hard man, my old man. Still is today. But he's the one that kept saying to me, no, you can keep doing what you're doing. You're going to love this game and you're going to make it to the very top. And players who were there say it was just like amazing moment and really just made them so motivated and want to go out there. With us in the media, he he's just very empathetic. He talks about a range of topics um, in a really interesting way, and you know he just says he just gets it. That's the thing. I think fans uh, can recognise a fraud and they can recognise someone who understands it. And because he is a fan, fundamentally, you know that's how he got into it. He's able to articulate that message. And you know, recently after they they won a game, they won it really really late on against the team they should have beaten Sheffield United but you know and he was asked because it's such a thing in football what you always say after a win is you know we're not getting carried away and you know one game at a time da 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 but he said no let the fans get carried away let them dream let them enjoy it (laughs) you know that's what it's about and things like that it's like he has a direct line to to the supporters and I think and like I said before a lot of managers see the media uh, as kind of the enemy or at least something to be treated with a lot of caution. Whereas he sees the potential in kind of public speaking and what it can do for your standing with the, with the, with the, the fans and also with the players, because, you know, they're going to be aware of what you're saying publicly, but also what he says to them behind closed doors, the team talks he gives. It's really, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm very interested in, communication and speech making and always have been and so having Postacoglu as my sort of muse to, to be able to sit there and listen to is genuinely like it, it's it's fascinating you learn so much from him in every press conference whereas often press conferences can be very formulaic artificial feeling events where you're just asking you know is x player injured why is player y out of form you know that sort of stuff whereas with him 
you know, I was able to ask him about um, you know, mental health recently because one of the players had said they were suffering and he gave really thought-provoking answer on that. Who in their life doesn't have something that's stressful? I mean, I've, I've lived 58 years now and there's never been a time in my life where everything is perfect, you know. I lost my father three years ago and he should have been here for the journey. So I've got to deal with that. Everyone, and that's just me talking personally, but everybody, everybody in this room at this moment, you could be, one part of your life could be flying and but there'll be something. It could be a family member, it could be a health issue, it could be a financial issue. There's always something. And, and footballers are not immune from that. And sometimes I think they fall into the trap of thinking they are. And they're not. Because just because you have, you know, money or, or, or you're really good at something... Um, life will still find a way to keep a balance in that there'll be stuff in there that that's going to be stressful, it's going to be upsetting and, and you've got to just deal with that, you know. But do you think enough people in the game understand that as well as you seem to do? Well, I don't think anyone doesn't understand. I think, like I said, I just think we choose to ignore it. We just mm. at times think, well, he's a footballer, he's got money, what's he got to complain about, you know. Um, and most weeks there are things where you're just like, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I love it. I love it. You must be excited for the year ahead. Yeah, I am. Like, it's, it has been a real... Um, a, it's given it a real... The whole thing a real boost because you are... To, to, to be up close to someone where you're, where you're constantly learning stuff from and who you respect is... Uh, yeah, it like it, it sounds a bit um, corny, maybe, but it, it does feel like a privilege to to you know to be able to see this. Um, and for him, it's been an amazing journey, you know, because he's he's had to do it the hard way. Um, it's taken him a long, long time to get here, and now everyone's just a bit like, "Where has he been all this time?" And I think a lot of it, you know, he's Australian, and Australians in football tend to maybe not be treated with the same respect as people from some other countries. Um, so yeah, it's it's he's he's had to go a fairly circuitous route. He managed in Japan. He obviously managed in Australia for a while, and I think for him, he's just loving every minute of it. I, I love the piece, and I'm so grateful that you took the time to chat to us. Well, thanks for having me. 
Charlie's got a dream job. Thank you to Charlie Eccleshare from The Athletic. All of his articles that he mentioned are linked and you'll find lots of other stuff there. If you are interested in this, like I say, we've had previous episodes on Liverpool FC, Barcelona and the All Blacks. And if you're interested in workplace culture, you can follow along and join the newsletter and you'll see that in the show notes. I've been Bruce Daisley. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.